welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm Hannah. Hello, darlings. I'm David. And we're being very arch today. Oh, we're yes. Very, very dramatic, very British, and uh, we're talking about Cruella, uh, Disney's latest live-action adaptation of villainous uh, protagonist. Um this is part of a trend that a lot of people have picked up on. It's been uh, the talk of Twitter and Tumblr and the like, uh, and, and even time to, to continue the alliterative uh, sources, <laughs> uh, has commented on this persistent use of villain origin stories uh, for, for marketable IP mm-hmm. uh, to mine in the latest round of remakes and reboots. Yeah, you know, I mean, with Disney, this all started back with uh, Maleficent. I believe was the first of the the Disney villain uh, live action remakes. Correct. Right, yeah. and it was financially successful. Yeah, uh, which can't be said of all of these live action Disney reboots. Uh, and it was big enough to warrant a sequel a few years later. Um, and you know, there was another film that uh, live action adaptation of a disney uh, animated classic that was good enough to warrant a sequel and that was the glenn close adaptation of 101 dalmatians yep uh which was written and produced by john hughes i don't know if anybody knew that i did not so know that if anyone was feeling when when seeing that movie as a kid like mm, this has a lot of home alone vibes uh you know there's there's a connection there. There you go. <laughs> uh, but but the new Cruella doesn't have has not been compared to at least uh, Home Alone. <laughs> it has no. been more compared to Ocean's Eleven and to uh, Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Um, but I think that a lot of what it what it has that works, and I think there is a lot that works. Uh, it owes to the original 101 Dalmatians. Uh, live action adaptation, not the animated classic. Oh, okay. You like uh, Emma Stone is taking a lot of uh, leaves out of Glenn Close's book, and and Emma Thompson as well is borrowing a lot of Glenn Close energy, um, and a lot of her 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 narrative, her story is is directly taken from that movie and not from the original novel, right, you know, children's right. book or the original yeah. animated movie. So I think that's interesting. Um, but we have a few sort of key questions that we want to answer in this discussion because there's a lot of discourse about Cruella the the movie, but we want to talk about yes. Cruella the trend. Yes. I think, a little bit because she's a trendsetter, but she's also a trend <laughs> follower. Right? Ironically, yes, yeah. she herself a trendsetter. Uh, her movie, the the most basic trendiest. Uh, Thing that Disney could possibly poop out. Right. So, so why don't why don't you start? Well, let's run down. What are our, our main questions that we're hoping to address? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, first off, just like David, what is the purpose of these villagin origin stories? You know, villagin. Did yeah. I say villagin? Did I say villagin? Call them. <laughs> you did. We should we should call them that. They're villagins. Um, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. 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 Put that up there with my uh, South Park of racism or whatever. <laughs> or not racism. <laughs> right. Whatever it was. <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, I think that's an important question is like, why are these being made now? Why mm-hmm. were they made at all? You know, where do they come from? That sort of thing. And then I think also interesting is like, how do these films feel to watch? Like, what is the experience of watching them? Where's the the pleasure, the enjoyment of the this type of cinema? You know, is it is it the cruelty? Are are we enjoying the cruelty, or are we enjoying seeing another side to a character that mm-hmm. we already are familiar with? Or you know, what is it specifically that we're enjoying about them? Because they do seem to be <laughs> profitable. Joker, yeah. especially as a villain, or, village in story, story was you know hugely yeah, yeah. popular. Absolutely. And then what was the the last question that um, we wanted to answer? You know, do these characters 
get happy endings? Are they redeemed? Um, do they see the same consequences? Right. Do, does learning the backstory, does learning the backstory like undo the 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 cruelty in the other right. continuities? Like, do we see them in a different light now? And does that change our view of like who gets to tell stories in the cases of actual acts of cruelty in real life? Does it mm-hmm. change our views of justice? So these are all like. I think really broad <laughs> questions that we're only going to be able to sort of hint at by, by you know, discussing the, the elements of this plot and the plots of other mm-hmm. films like it. But I think yeah. we'll get somewhere, at least sure. on one of them. So let's 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 All let's right. dive right in. So do you wanna name some movies or stories that you see as kind of antecedents of uh Yeah, of so I mean, you know, there's a bunch of these it's not necessarily a new trope Mm -hmm. even you know if disney is relatively ish new to it um you know it's existed for a while mainly in i feel like comic spaces um and in tv spaces where you have that serialized format where it's easier to sort of like take a minute to dive into um like a bad quote-unquote villainous characters backstory and get a sense of their motivation um and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording and you brought up a great point i think um that you know when it happens in a serialized format like that it's much more like added flavor and added depth like it's a little bit of like a Right. It's a part of like yeah. narrative complexity almost that you would have characters who are bad but who also have their own internal world that you can see if you just right. for an episode sort of explore things from right. their perspective and or for a comic. Exactly. Or a and you know, usually in those formats it's not so much meant to excuse or redeem the character um but as like as you said complicate it a little bit. Um, right. But I think it does often add sort of like a yeah. tragic bent to them. Like, you know, they didn't ask mm-hmm. to be this way or, you know, something of that matter. It often involves some kind of act of physical disfigurement uh, to sort of ex- explain or, or externalize. Usually some uh, extreme. You know, what, what is going wrong <laughs> with their psych- right, psychology. Right. I mean, it's usually some form of extreme othering or abuse or trauma. Um, you know, like trauma is always a big part of these stories, um, that. Right. I mean, it's a big part of the hero origins too, of course, but it has a particular bent of like, you know, this trauma is an explanation for cruel or criminal acts. Uh, you know, so I think there's something interesting about how the villains all have tragic backstories when not all of the heroes do. Or, you know, for something sure, of that For sure, for sure. So, you know, just to really quickly name drop a few of these uh, backstories, um, you know, most recently we've had Joker. <laughs> um, we've got yeah. Venom. There's Maleficent, as I said. Right. So, like, obviously a lot of these are going to be right. anti-heroes. So, you know, Venom or Punisher or, um, you know, other, other heroes of mm-hmm. that nature who do things that are bad, but we... We think of them, but a lot of them started out as villains in other heroes' stories, and I think that that's one of the interesting things about comics too. Is that you know uh, th- that in-, in comics morality is sort of black and white for the most part. Uh, you have you know superheroes and supervillains, and then the introduction of these like antihero comics in like the seventies and eighties really like broadened it. And so now we have villains as heroes, sort of, or villain heroes, and they all have villages. Yes, yes. Um, you know, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's just a lot of them. Um, so, you know, other other shows, other examples, we've got, um, we've got Hannibal, <laughs> which I think is a, definitely an extreme example. Um, there's the, the show Ratchet, which, um, takes Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and sort of gives her a backstory, I guess, because we were all just dying to relate, question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) Right, to this, this bureaucratic element of the machine of 
psychiatric right. cruelty. Uh, we we want to see why she was indoctrinated right. into that specifically, and what kind of things caused her to break bad. You know. <laughs> yes, I mean Breaking Bad is you know almost a villain origin story in and of itself. Um, I guess to an extent. Kind of... um, I guess what I was thinking of more was like stories where we already have this yeah. person as an antagonist and then reframing right, them as right. a protagonist. So if in, you know, in Breaking Bad, uh, you, you know, maybe if we had a sequel series about, you know, I guess Gus sort of is a feature yeah. in Better Call Saul and we get to see his his origins to an extent. So uh, maybe maybe, the, maybe there's some, yeah. some truth to that um, as well. Just really quick, uh, there's there's Wicked, um, the the with the Wicked Witch of the West, obviously, um, and the the Disney right. TV show Once Upon a Time, where it basically just uses a bunch of Disney properties and makes it a giant soap opera. But there's, I believe, Cruella is in that as well. Um, I believe she does show up at some point. Right, but but I don't think that she's given as sympathetic a, a backstory uh, as in this one. Definitely not as in the movie. No, no, no. Um, but, you know, everyone has a tragic backstory in that one. Um, I think as, as far as Wicked goes, that's like the earliest example on this list. Uh, and, you know, it sort of comes from the, the author Gregory Maguire, who wanted to use a bunch of public domain uh, mm. villains and give them backstories. So he also has a book about like wicked stepsisters, um, you know, yeah. and, and those kind of things. So I think it's interesting that on one level we're dealing with totally yeah. free IP and then we're dealing with Disney who has like an iron grip on the copyrights on certain literary characters. I mean, and comics too, you know, like the IP there is fists of steel um, but, but I think you're totally right. And I think that's the interesting thing about Disney right now too. And with this movie in particular is that, you know, it's, it's set kind of now, you know, it's set in the modern times. It's not like, you know, yes, it's based on a novel, but like so loosely. And it's not like the novel has the cultural staying power impact that, um, you know, like Sleeping Beauty as a fairy tale does, you know, like many people know non-Disney sure. versions of that and The Little Mermaid and uh, Snow White and Little Red Riding Hood, though there's not a Disney movie of that. But, you know, like like these these are fairy tales that exist in the collective conscious uh, culture, whereas right. the 101 Dalma Dalmatians and Cruella specifically kind of exist in the public consciousness as much as they do because of Disney. No, absolutely. I mean, they they adapted it very early, you know, very quickly after the book was written and sort of took on the dominant representation of the Cruella de Vil character and then continued to do so for the next... Forever. 40, 50 till, years, however till long now. it's been. <laughs> till now. Um, honestly, I think it's been something like 70 years. Because this came out in, like, the 60s? Question mark? 70s? Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I think it's interesting with fairy tales because the idea of, you know, twisted fairy tales, like, that's stuff you learn about in elementary school. You do a unit on, like, fractured fairy tales and, like, oh, what, right, if, yeah. what if you read The Three Little Pigs from the wolf's perspective, you know? Right. I there there was a book like that that I did read. Um it was written by uh by um John Sheska Sheska you got it right I, I the know. first time. Okay. Um but uh yeah, I, that was great. It was sort of told from his perspective. At the end you find out that the wolf is like in jail as an old man and he's just sort of like just... trying to tell his side of the story. But it's it's supposed to be like he's an an unreliable narrator. It's a great way to teach kids about unreliable narration mm -hmm. early on. Um that like of course he's going to sort of sugarcoat his side of the story. But there's no sort of uh, indication of that in Cruella or Wicked, or Maleficent, 
it's all sort of portrayed as like this is the real truth the real story behind the lies of the past yeah and i think that's interesting yeah i mean you know i think that there are definitely some of those fractured fairy tale books that are just like no 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 but actually goldilocks was the bad one the whole time breaking into those bears home and eating their porridge like that jerk Mm -hmm. (laughs) the bears are just defending their their home um i don't know what kind of weird (laughs) politics we're getting into there um but but so you know i don't think the the disney movies or cruella specifically are um you know, again, they're not the first to make this villain argument or to have it from their perspective entirely and sort of validate that as the truth or right. Right. But but what the main reason why we're seeing so much of it today, I think, is because we have these villain IPs mm-hmm. that are more popular than the stories that they're in. Uh, you know, they're, they, they have a, a profitability outside of their original narratives. The only thing that they sold 101 Dalmatians on in the first place was Cruella. But because of the way that I think our culture has shifted towards maybe like not wanting to sympathize with people who do villainous things, you know, I, I'm not going to say that it's like, it's like a Tumblr thing, but like it, maybe it kind of is. This idea of, like, you don't want to sympathize oh, with, with people who do bad the things. The purity culture of it all in fandom. Yeah. yeah, a sort of purity testing of even our fiction or even our fantasies of fiction. Right. You know, if there's, like, shipping discourse, that can get very, you know, very toxic as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, so we have these characters who are very profitable that people like. Cruella, Maleficent, etc., they are snazzy dressers, they're stylish, they have star quality. But you don't want to portray them as the antagonist, you want them to be the protagonist so people can relate to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's why. I think that's why we're seeing these stories now. What do you think? I just think it's it's money, you know? It's like, oh, what? Well, that's what I'm right, saying. Right, like... It's, these are profitable IP. You could do the same story with not Cruella, but it wouldn't sell anything. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like, it's it's both that and, like, I don't know how to put it exactly. So I think, you know, aside from just it's IP that's sitting around that there is some sort of following for, um why not make money off of it? We're Disney. We just want your money. Um, (laughs) I think there's, there's like a little bit of the, like, like, I think part of the reason that villains get popular in the first place is that they are unrestrained in a way that um, Mm. heroes are not necessarily restrained and they yeah, i totally agree with this that like as a cultural moment what we're experiencing is even more sympathy for the devil you know or the devil uh than you know than in the past but i think it's always been oh, there yeah. under the surface i mean so so i mean there's part of that there's also you know the aesthetics of villainy are have often been mm-hmm. queer coded for a very long time in movie history um, so, you know, be gay, do crimes. The, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who are, who have always sort of gravitated towards villains because they feel outcast or misunderstood or, um, otherwise find right. a way so it's a sort to of, relate to these villains. And it's a sort of, sh- it's a shape of water principle, basically, that we're taking old genres and we're we're queering them we're um we're putting them through a more like let's view who was seen as the bad guy as the monster through the lens of you know a social justice lens how were they you know represented in a negative light for something so joker would be people with mental health issues cruella would be women in the 60s in a highly competitive capitalist field Mm -hmm. 
you know, um, The Shape of Water would be, you know, monsters being a kind of stand-in for all repressed groups. Right. I mean, um, same thing for for Wicked, you know, um, where she herself is monstrous in some way, which you could, again... Well, in that one, it's almost, it's more political than it is, you know, even about sexism, because there's her oppositionally good good witch but she's the bad witch because she opposes the like, the political structures right. right uh yeah the the cruelty towards talking animals mm-hmm. you know the hierarchies and the and the the bad systems right. um i mean which is why i think wicked is the is the most the least egregious most good example of this okay i don't know it's my favorite maybe <laughs> i don't know if that's if that's critical but <laughs> i think that's fine um i mean at, at least for me i think the least egregious might be hannibal just because i don't <laughs> think it looks to like excuse hannibal at all it's just like you're here for the like you're here to watch a bad guy do bad things you know like yeah but i don't think that is necessarily like that's okay that's we're just here to do that it's you're taking like this almost like sexual pleasure in this guy who like eats people yeah (laughs) which i guess is fine like i don't want to kink shame or anything i'm just saying like that i think is different from reframing someone who is wicked because the wizard said so in the original book like the things that she does that could be perceived as wicked, they're not the things that you know her for. Right. It's more just like her flying around. Cackling. And cackling. Right. <laughs> um, so if you take away some of the things that she does that are excessively cruel, like setting uh, a man on fire or, you know, uh, I guess cursing somebody to wear shoes... Or she can't take off the shoes. It wasn't even her fault. God damn it. You know, the the Wicked Witch, you know, even in The Wizard of Oz, I don't think is that bad a person. Right, right. And then you, if you reframe it as, like, she was opposing an unjust power structure, I think, like, I think that's a lot more Relatable. Uh, workable yeah. than just, like, but I just like serial killers, you know? <laughs> like, I just think they're cool and neat. I mean, sure, but I think, you know... If you want to write your show about a serial killer being neat and have... <laughs> I, see, I've never watched Hannibal. I only know about it sure. from Friends and Tumblr. So my assumption, yep. it's just about two gay dudes going, <laughs> committing murder and etc. And maybe eating some people. I don't know. That's all I know about Hannibal. <laughs> Right. I guess I haven't watched too much of it either, only a few episodes here and there, but it just seems like as far as the fandom is concerned, it's it's largely like this guy is like a sexy intellectual yeah. who kills and eats yeah. people and that's yeah. cuz it's dark. But I mean like the, I respect that, you know? They're not trying to be like <laughs> uh, like Hannibal is the best guy and is like totally deserving of, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize in reality. Sure. He just had this tragic backstory. They're like, no, nah, he sucks and is bad, but isn't that kind of hot? Like, I can get in for that. You're owning the villainous, you know? All right, all right. I think that this, you know, I, I, I tend to be kind of uh, overly fearful and, and kind of moral panicky about this sort of thing when I shouldn't be. I know that, like, when Joker came out, I was thinking, like, do we really want to be, like, sympathizing with, like, this guy, you know, who just is sort of going on a violent rampage? Isn't it sort of like buying into, you know, a male power fantasy of, like, terrorism? <laughs> Um, and then, uh, I saw it and everyone was not having that reaction. They were just kind of taking joy in the fantasy of revenge, of Mm. violent revenge for its own sake. Uh, and I think, I think that's really what all these stories are about. They're revenge narratives, all of them. Uh, and we like to see people enact vengeance of, of a proportional or disproportionate uh, degree on people is wicked is wicked a revenge story i would say yeah uh, you know it's about a rift between two friends 
primarily, right. but it's also about revenge on this guy who who did bad stuff to her in particular um and to her mother in particular but you know okay i guess she doesn't really get a lot of revenge though um no i i I guess not (laughs) (laughs) so like in that way i don't really think it's a revenge story it's more it's more a tragedy and like a character deconstruction right than than being focused on revenge and you know I don't, again, I have not really watched Hannibal, so can't super speak to how much it is or is not about revenge. But, like, as far as I know, not so much. Once Upon a Time, on the other hand, Once Upon a Time is all about revenge. That is the whole purpose of that show. It's just soap opera revenge to soap opera revenge. Um, And and I would agree with you that, like, Maleficent uh, and Joker are also definitely, like, all about revenge and cruella certainly is right in this case for uh for those of you who haven't seen the film yet uh spoilers from here on out uh the primary revenge narrative is between cruella jr we could say and not cruella senior her the baroness the baroness von hellman who is really just Cruella Deville from the original, you know, she doesn't have a yeah. backstory. They're, they don't explain why she is the way that she is, but she exhibits yeah. all of the same traits as Cruella did in, you know, 1996 or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, she's the head of a fashion empire. She's cruel to her employees. She's dismissive. She takes credit where credit is not due. She has no use for babies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Glenn Close, where were you? I needed you. <laughs> right, but it's, I mean, Emma Thompson, I think, is channeling that energy. In, in a... Yeah, but I I love Emma Thompson. Did not enjoy her in this film, <laughs> oh, particularly. Well, thought, she, thought she phoned it in. Well, I, if you say so, I, I, I think she was quite uh, charmingly cruel in, in the movie, just as Glenn Close was. Um but yeah, like she also her what makes her a villain in in this case is that she doesn't want to take care of her child, which they frame as her being a narcissist. But also, it was the '60s in Britain, right? But also, like so she didn't really have much of a choice in whether or not to have children. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but but you can call her a narcissist for murdering a baby, or you could say that she just was a baby murderer because she wanted to murder a baby. I mean, listen, there's a lot of things you can do with a baby besides that you don't want besides murder. <laughs> like, right. Well, then in, in in fact, that is what happens because the Mark yes. Strong character sort of takes her, you know, her take care of the baby as like give it to a servant and send her off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this one is just weird from, like, a feminism <laughs> standpoint. Because they're, they're trying really hard to, like, girl boss it up. But then it's like... No, I think ultimately because it's Disney, they end up reverting to these very traditionalist views of of femininity right. and of you know yeah. good and bad in that and motherhood in that cruella like by the end learns to be like not as mean to her subordinates i guess <laughs> to like you know to kind of not be a bitch whereas emma thompson <laughs> is you know a cold ass bitch till the end <laughs> i mean yes but like you know in my head the whole time i'm just imagining this cruella growing up to be, like, the Glenn Close Cruella from 101 Dalmatians. And just, like, to go from being this child who was, like, was abandoned by her mother to being, like, I have no use for babies. You know? It's just, like... Right. It wouldn't really work. Like, is this really an origin story? Or, like, what is this? No, it's a, it's a total retelling. It's its own thing. Um, but it is... An origin of a Cruella. Sure. You know, it's, I, I certainly was not expecting to learn that she was born with that hairstyle. No, um, was not expecting that or, either. Or that her, her tragic backstory is that her mother was killed by Dalmatians and that's why, 
you know, she might hate them. But she doesn't end up hating them at the end. So that, you know, even though that went really viral. Exactly. She doesn't end up hating Dalmatians at the end. She doesn't. And she ends up, like, giving Dalmatian puppies that the Dalmatians she inherited from the Baroness to Roger and Anita. And then I guess... That she's like meat cuting them? Question mark. Question right, mark. but also, wouldn't that make the puppies that she gave out brother and sister? Yes, absolutely. Um, and then, which is, I mean, I guess honestly, I mean, when it comes to purebred dogs, I mean, that's not certainly not uncommon. They're all basically brother and sister anyway. They're literally inbred. That's literally how it's done. Yeah. But uh, I guess I just didn't expect Disney to be. <laughs> you know sort of a proponent of that um there's a lot of things that you know if this movie's about to be incorporated into any kind of larger disney canon you know because they sort of leave it open for a sequel at the end um yeah i think it's more likely to get a cruella 2 than a 101 dalmatians sequel i think you're right um however i think either way there's a lot of weird plot holes and like character reimaginings that kind of need to get reworked to make like future installments gel, I think. Yeah, but I mean that's never stopped them in the past, you know, when sure. it, when it comes to like okay, uh how, you know, how did Maleficent 1 end such that a Maleficent 2 is possible? Obviously you can't kill Maleficent, you have to kill the king yeah. uh and then you have to sort of establish ish this prince character who then in the sequel the plot is centered around a, a a conflict between the fairies and his parents and their ah kingdom. meet the uh, fockers plus maleficent <laughs> love it i was thinking more shrek too oh, okay yeah. shrek 2 is probably more apt but still <laughs> um yeah. Boy. <laughs> Should we talk a little bit uh, more about Maleficent 1? I know that's that's sort of a, a favorite of yours in the in the live. I know movie. that. I feel like this is such a hot take and it's probably a garbage take and I'm sure I'm wrong, but I really enjoyed Maleficent. I saw it in theaters when it came out back in like 2014 or whatever. Um and like I I had a blast. I enjoyed it immensely, personally. Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a bad movie. I I think that the sequel is is actually better in a lot of ways. Fascinating, Um, because it looked entirely uninteresting to me. It has like a really solid climax. It it has a really solid like climax moment in that like there's a big war between the fairies and humans at the end but that's and the it same, actually plays out that's the same thing as no the first it's one. not really the same is it though <laughs> it's really just one fairy against like a king with some like metal uh where and and it doesn't have this sort of big bombastic disney uh climax that we've come to expect i guess and then uh i think that as a villain uh, the queen in Maleficent 2 is uh, a lot stronger than the king, who's just kind of like, get out of here, Cruella. We, er, get out of here, Maleficent. We don't care about you anymore. You you need to get going. Yeah. It's kind of, it's just kind of, you know, he doesn't really have a particular ideology or um, belief system. He's just kind of like a bastard. Yeah, you know? he's a douchebag. And she's not there for it. And I am there for right. that. Um, yeah. So I, I, think, I, thought, I think you know... as far as revenge goes, um, mm-hmm. you know, I am really on board for the Maleficent revenge. I, you know, because right. at least to me, uh, trigger warning for sexual assault, um, like that is the point of the movie, is that basically she is raped by this king and has her wings stolen, a part of her taken. Um, and it's like, a journey of her healing from that, regaining a sense of self and power, and um, then, you know, eventually taking her revenge. And 
I, I liked the revenge part as well. I liked all of it. Right. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, you would expect in a villain story that the the villain, the antagonist of that story mm-hmm. would would be as fleshed out and, you know, complex as this villain getting a new origin. But usually they're not. In fact, they just sort of take in the villain and then replace them with an even worse villain uh or or someone who's even more pure evil from birth right uh it's not about it's not about necessarily providing explanations for all villainous acts but sort of saying certain villainous acts are forgivable or can be ignored in favor of like the more the complexities of, of some characters sure i mean i think you know at least for me i saw maleficent more as like kind of a wicked move where you know we've only ever heard the story from this bastard king's side and you know right. now we're getting her side of the story and she's like no this asshole did these things to me and right they say that explicitly in the narration yeah. it's it's from the perspective of a future uh aurora the sleeping beauty character mm-hmm. um and you find that out at the only at the end that like this is the true story because it's from her perspective and she's a reliable narrator, whereas the you know the Disney chorus was a an unreliable narrator because they judged based on appearance. Right. I suppose. Right. Right. <laughs> um. Um. But I I just thought Maleficent one was a little confused because of like the sequences with the the fairy aunts or whatever. Yeah. It's like, what was their role? How do they fit into this political struggle of, like, settlements on fairy land and whatnot? Like <laughs> A little too uh, Israel-Palestine. Right. Well, I mean, it's, there's clearly, like, an imperialist narrative yeah. to it on some level, which makes sense for medieval Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, I just don't know what the Moors represent anymore once you have these, like, fairy representatives who the king trusts enough to watch his daughter for 16 years i it's a little confusing uh and i just think there's other like weird elements to maleficent but that's not really the point Uh, it's sort of a tangent yeah but like again that's revenge i like to see and i think at least for me the villain of the king while he's not particularly well fleshed out you know he's evil not because he's evil it's because he's overly ambitious and cowardly you know and kind of like a douche. Sure. But I mean, like, could you imagine like a, you know, a, a film called King Aurora? I don't know his name. <laughs> King Guy. And then this is his villain origin story. And it's like, from his perspective, he was thinking, if I don't cut the wings off of this fairy, you know, they're going to come and kill her. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a hunt from everybody. But if I say that she's dead and she's only got her wings cut off... Uh, then, then, she's then not that's dead. fine. And anyways, once I'm king, she can just attach, reattach her wings because they do that. <laughs> they can just kind of fly back to you. Right. <laughs> and then she survived where she otherwise would have died. I'm not saying that his actions were justified because they weren't in this movie. Yeah. But if you can make the kind of changes that you can make to Cruella. You know, mm-hmm. why can't you make those same... Or, or to Maleficent's yeah. story where, no, she didn't place this curse on her and then, you know, fight tooth and nail to keep it going. She fought to break the curse. Right, right. You know, then why can't you change the king's story? I don't know. Oh, fair enough. Um, You know, again, I think it's like he's not a compelling enough villain. He has no gravitas. There's no majesty right. to him. Whereas, or camp. He's not arch. Right. There's nothing or arch. Camp. Yeah. Uh, whereas Cruella is definitely arch and camp and over the top. And, right. you know, and I think, yeah, this speaks to one of the other questions that we had, which is like, what is the pleasure of watching these mm-hmm. movies? And I think it's the camp. It's the arch. It's the just talking like no human has ever talked in real life. <laughs> uh, in just like villain, villain speak. Yes. Mm. Getting. I, I just I always think of uh, D Reynolds from uh, from It's Always Sunny when she's trying to be Arch. I know that's a reference you don't get, Hannah. I mean, I've watched It's Always Sunny, but this is a particular okay. episode where she's being Arch, okay. and uh, and it's funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, 
is the, are we getting that same pleasure from 101 Dalmatians where she is indeed killing puppies <laughs> for a coat so, or trying to? So, anyway. I mean, at least for me, these were some of the issues that I had with the Cruella movie. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I did not enjoy Emma Thompson's Baroness. I thought she was like somewhere between Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada and Glenn Close as Cruella in 101 Dalmatians. Well, I think that's what she was going I think for. It's... She was going for a little more toned down. Right. Because it's not the 90s anymore. But like, but that's not what this, like, this is not the movie to tone it down, you know? I think you're absolutely tone right. Tone it up. Yeah. Like, I think that the whole movie Cruella suffers from a kind of Disney smoothness, mm. which, you know, has characterized all of their adaptations, a kind of dulling of the edges to make everything just kind of go down smooth. Like, like there's a soft filter sort of over, over yeah, everything. Yeah, like, it's like, okay, we have our first gay character <laughs> in, in every fucking movie. This David Bowie looking, uh shop owner yeah. um who sells dresses and it's like he's so non-threatening <laughs> like i can imagine so many christian moms being totally okay with this character and the depiction right of um he's not even really gay on screen right or like the thieves they're so like perfectly like coutured like this is what a thief in the 60s would look right. like ish but like you know snazzed out like they've got nice looking yeah. thieving clothes but like i think i think that's fine it's the movies like you know no i i'm just saying an overall smoothness which i think speaks to your characterization of, of thompson but sure. i, I interrupt no i think i think you're i think you're right um but yeah so you know it's she's i just don't find her villain particularly compelling especially when she is basically just Cruella Sr., as you said, you know, and, like, we already have Cruella. Like, we know this character already. So, like, if you want to be, like, interesting and compelling, you really got to go the extra mile. And I don't feel like the character does that. Um, and I don't think it's all Emma Thompson's fault. I think, you know, the script doesn't particularly give her anything super interesting or like exciting to do or be um no she's just kind of generally like a shitty boss which is she's you know she's a shitty boss and like she's like ugh, being a feminist in the 60s is so hard and being a feminist means that i have to just like fuck over everyone else hashtag girl boss you know like it's very right. but i think it's interesting bad. that her backstory is closer to cruella Deville's backstory in the book yeah in the original animated yeah. film where she's married to a furrier she likes furs yeah. i think she does wear wear some fur in the in the film i actually can't remember now because I know Cruella does not wear She fur. does not. She does not do anything. And she specifically mocks the idea that she would ever wear fur. Which is so funny to me. Because it was such a normal practice in that time. Yeah. It's, it's like almost anachronistic that she wouldn't like fur right. in some way. Right. At least like mink or stoat. Right. You know, like something that's like, it's not an animal that you would keep as a pet. Right. <laughs> it's a mink or a stoat. Like... If she's not a vegetarian, why does she care about furs? Exactly. Like, I literally looked at, uh, you know, went back and watched the, the animated feature. And when Cruella first sort of, like, blusters into the apartment, um, you know, she's just like, oh, do you like my furs? And Anita is like, yeah, it's actually really beautiful. I love it. So it's not like Disney was trying to be like, wearing fur is wrong. They were just being like, wouldn't it be fucked up if someone killed your pet? <laughs> you know, like that's that's the vibe. Exactly. <laughs> right, Well, and that's what the book's about as well. It's like, it's the, and it, but it, it is about like the inherent cruelty, I guess, of women who desire, you know, furs and desire fashion above all else right like it's definitely villainizing a type of femininity mm -hmm. even though it was you know written by uh by a woman uh I, you know I, I can see that they're 
trying to get around the idea of like furs being more cruel than other things maybe i don't know what disney is losing track of my point that disney now is like trying to it's that establish that cruella can still be cruel even if she's not doing it's bad to get first it's totally a money thing like i i think there was some like internal memo or something that was leaked or released where basically it was like cruella will not do anything to harm an animal in this movie um right. and it's just because it's just because people don't want exactly. to see harm to animals in a kid's exactly movie. And but but even like the retroactive like of wearing a mink coat right. or something like that maybe she didn't personally stab each mink in the heart with a, <laughs> you know a pair of scissors but she's wearing a mink coat right is that is that too cruel for a villain or an antihero no but Disney would say ah but we're making her the hero so she can't do that you know she can only just say say snarky things and you know uh, yell at her co-workers right and the fact that the baroness is a a fashion you know uh maven what is it what is the right word fashionista Uh, i don't know a fashionista uh and that she runs a a you know high couture company mm-hmm. that's taken from glenn close in the 90s because yeah. cruella originally like she was just she just wanted a coat she was just and she wanted to sell maybe a couple furs for money but you know she just wanted a coat. yeah she was just an insane rich lady who was like i'm entitled yeah. to your puppies give them to me and, you know, right. now that's been reworked into a capitalist framework where it's like, of course, no one would just, like, do that. They would do it for money. Duh. Right. I mean, there's kind of, like, an implication that she's going to make more coats and possibly sell some of the furs in the original. But, not but so it's, much. like, it's not made totally clear because the whole point is just that she's rich. She feels entitled. Yeah. She belittles, you know, the uh, her her friend's, you know, choice to become uh, a housewife mm-hmm. and her choice to settle down, and you know her, you know, just belittles their income in general. Yeah. Like that, you would marry a songwriter. Huh. <laughs> That's not a real career. An American um, to boot. Whereas I married a baroness. A, a, <laughs> or baron. a, a baron. <laughs> I married a. I married a baroness. She married a baroness. That would be some real girl boss energy. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> what happens? What, are, what were we saying? Um, we're, what was the point we were making? We were just talking about how entitled and rich she is. Whereas in this version, in, in Cruella, she has to sort of start from the bottom, you know, even though she, and then she still inherits something from being the child of a rich baroness right in that she inherits like generational evil (laughs) like she has to fight the demons within herself because she inherited them from her mother that's even though she wasn't raised by her in any way that's the the other weird part of this movie is it like i feel like it's edging onto like oh cruella's got split personality you know there's estella who's nice and then there's cruella who's mean right there's arthur and there's joker right exactly (laughs) um you know and then there's like this continued demonization of you know mental health issues and people who have dissociative right you can read it that way or you can just read it as like no she's just she's just you know it's a nature versus nurture thing and it's about but i think that's part of it you can take the you can take the cruella out of the uh mansion out of the baron or out of the hellman estate but you can't take the hellman estate out of the cruella you can take the double hockey Um, sticks out of her yeah. name or not i don't know this is i've lost the plot um <laughs> regardless oh god so so i mean how do these films feel david that was one of our questions is it refreshing yeah i think like when it comes to like the punk aesthetic of cruella i think that's fun to watch her upset the establishment right. and sort of graffiti all over high fashion in that time. I think the scene where 
she makes the moth coat yeah. or the moth dress. Yeah. Everyone knows the scene if they've seen the film. Mm-hmm. I think the moth dress is is fire. I think it's hot. I think it's fantastic. I, I do have um, to say, I like her Hunger Games moment uh, when she crashes the ball, right. too, and, and lights her right. white dress on fire. It's like, yeah, it's a f- power fantasy of just showing everyone up with just how glamorous you are and how forward-thinking you are and how much you just shatter the establishment with just your look, not even with anything that you're trying to accomplish or your goals. But also that, you know, you can use aesthetics to elicit this kind of reaction from people and that you can right. you can dream these aesthetics up to begin with. Um, you know, like right. the moth dress scene kind of leads her to basically invent the 80s. like 80s fashion question mark right she invents punk yeah yeah on a whim on a whim as a lark as a child even (laughs) right right okay so you know there's pleasure in that radicalness um and as we sort of said earlier i think that uh freedom from restriction that um you know, villains and anti-heroes get to revel in, whereas, you know, we sort of look to heroes to be a little bit more uh, morally righteous and a little, toe that line a little bit closer, um, usually a little bit more serious in certain ways. Um, yeah, but I think more and more, like, our heroes and our anti-heroes, like, it doesn't really matter. They're both tearing at some kind of establishment. We have a real... A real case of, of anti-authority, anti-bourgeois, anti—you uh, know. But for all anti-class sentiment, anti-bourge, <laughs> Cruella seems to espouse. You know, it ends up with just her being the bougie one. You know, she's like right. Well, I think that also speaks to what we like these days. I mean, what is you know Tony Stark or. Uh, you know, even Captain America more than like somebody who just sort of tells off the big wigs in charge and then embodies all of the exact same principles, capitalism and, and jingoism that they're supposedly confronting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's valid. Um, so like you would, but does Joker fall into that same trap? You know, is my question. Does Joker? Well, because Joker is sort of written to be, you know, so violent and so like directionless and just angst driven that, you know, as much as you can try and read like a political narrative into the, the movie as a whole, you can't read it into him as a character. Mm-hmm. He specifically opposes that like textually. He says, you know, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I just like killing people because it's funny, you know? Right. Like that, but I think there's a joy in that too, in the sort of like, I don't have to justify myself to you by being like politically correct. Sure. <laughs> I can just, I can just kill Robert De Niro Listen, live on television. Hannibal doesn't fun. have to be good. He just has to be sexy. You know, like I think it's the same vibe. <laughs> Right. And, you know, Joker doesn't have to be good. He just has to be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, would you say that, like, this ending for Cruella is, like, a happy ending? I think it has to be, right? I mean, she is fully redeemed. Her her her, her traumas are resolved in that she has now taken possession of the the weapon that killed her mother, mm-hmm. the Dalmatians, and the whistle. And she has taken the killer of her mother and put her in jail without mm-hmm. stooping to her level by not killing. You know, that's her right. you know, moral victory. And she's also been victorious in reclaiming her birthright, which is a big part of a lot of these as well. Joker had a sort of potential birthright from the Wayne family you know in his ambiguous parentage and uh you know in this case yeah also a a sort of inheritance that was owed to her from the Baroness um so it has to be a happy ending right and so like are we saying that she deserved that same she wouldn't have deserved that same ending Mm -hmm. in the original story Right. right 
where she ascends from the poor house right. to the rich house. But then when she's in the rich house, can she be the villain to someone else's story? Can she be the right. baroness to someone else who's also trying to scrape their way to the top? I don't know. I mean, if if we're doing a direct canon uh, line from this Cruella to Glenn Close, then yes. Right. Which, again, we can't. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's what does the Baroness say? She says something like, you know, human beings are yeah. obstacles. You know, if you let a, a, an obstacle get in your way, mm-hmm. then you're doomed to fail. It's the nature of capitalism that she should act the way that right. the Baroness acted. But that's inherently going to invite the the vengeance mm-hmm. of someone Specifically, else. Specifically, 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, right, and they're going to yeah. dunk her in molasses or something. <laughs> that's such a good movie. I, I, I kind of encourage people to go check out 101 Dalmatians. It's definitely it's a delightful, delightful nostalgia kick. I will agree with you there. And, and like... <laughs> i didn't watch it growing up but i just like it well it came out the year after i was born and my parents did not get it i mean i just remember disney channel playing it a lot like it was like it was always on disney channel Uh, you know right i i feel like i i saw more 102 (laughs) which is the one where she gets sent to you know to prison but then she gets reformed through pavlovian conditioning so that she can, you know, escape her cruelness, which is mm-hmm. a burden to her. That she is compelled through instinct yeah. to be cruel to animals. But then they cure her, but you can never really cure her. Because people at their core can't yeah. really change, is sort of the like moral right. of the movie. Uh, in the, and they just kind of do the same plot of 101 Dalmatians again. And she snaps and then goes to kill more puppies. Oh I mean... <laughs> so yeah it's just like it's interesting to me that they're trying to add nuance sort of to a character who is literally black and white like you know that has always been her (laughs) color theme scheme um and you know she desires right i mean she says that she's born bad a little bit mad right but also her that her origin is founded by, you know, girl power, like, you know, I am woman, hear me roar kind of thing. So it's this inherent contradiction that we want to see the, 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 li- the living embodiment of cruelty go be cruel, but not too cruel. We want to see them born cruel, but also how yeah. they became cruel. We, we, uh, there's all these contradictions yeah. in the Cruella movie, and I don't think we can no, ever really resolve them. It's, it's a mess, but like, it's not the worst mess, you know? Like, no, it's enjoyable. It's, you know, it's clean and it's smooth, and it's, it's different from doing Lion King, but with right, more realistic right. fur textures, or doing Aladdin, but with none of the good musical numbers um yeah i mean it's it's very interesting like i think there's enough uh comedy in it and at least semi-likable characters in it that you know if you if you're a kid right now watching this i like i could see myself having enjoyed it you know and you know yeah I mean, as far as, like, the performances go, even if you don't love Emma Thompson, which I, I think she did a fine job, I think Paul Walter Hauser as Horace he did, great. did fantastic. I think I think Joel Fry as Jasper is pretty good. Maybe not as good as uh, as Jasper in the, uh, in the 96 version, um, yeah. which was, of course, Hugh Laurie. Uh, but, uh, you know. Still very, very, very good performances all around. I mean, I will say, the weird romance between Cruella and uh, Horace is weird. Jasper. Or Jasper, yeah. sorry. It's weird. But, yeah, I think it's weird. I think it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Would have cut it. But, you know, even if you cut it, it's still there in the subtext because that's yep. how they were directed. So, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> 
um, CGI puppies, uh, you know, better than in the 96 version. <laughs> yeah, not great, though. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we didn't mention that Cruella has a dog. Oh, yeah. Cruella has a dog, and then Horace also has a dog named Wink. Right. I mean, they had a cat in the yeah. original animated and in the book, but, I mean... It's a little on the nose of saying we're going to redeem this character in the retelling by saying she doesn't. Okay, hate well, dogs. <laughs> she also has a dog that she, she loves, loves more than ever. Dogs. Her mom dies, and her only friend is her dog now. And then she commits crimes right. with the dog. But really, she just wants to be a fashion exactly. intern. But then her mean boss turns out to be the bitch who killed her mom ah shucks but i mean you say it sarcastically but like the can that work as a sort of this is the real story now you're hearing it from my perspective kind of thing like i don't think so i think it's a just a really different story like when they say that like oh the story that went out publicly was that she turned the dalmatians into a coat but in reality, she didn't. It was just faux fur. But, like, why you are know? you kidnapping like, the puppies, then? Unless you're... Here's the thing. You need to make Anita and uh, uh, Roger villains in that case. They need to be abusing these puppies or something. Or, like, trying to turn them into a puppy mill or something <laughs> like that. You know? Like, that's that's the only way. Right. It's like, oh, right. we were just on the wrong side of the story. I see now. Okay, but but you think in in like Maleficent where it's like yes she puts a curse on her yeah. but she breaks it you know like even though that yeah. wasn't in the original story you think that's like a good twist and a good retelling yeah sort of thing? I at least I enjoyed it I am open to being wrong about that and hearing other perspectives well I think I, I kind of yeah. want to close with just a brief touching sure. on Frozen. Let's do it. Because Frozen has Elsa, and Elsa is the most profitable Disney IP maybe ever, maybe since Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Just incredibly popular. And she is exactly a redeemed villain with a yeah. villain story yeah. in Frozen. She's the ice queen. Um, so, she, yeah, she was the titular ice, ice queen or snow mm -hmm. queen. I can't remember what the original name was. But she gets sort of an X-Men sort of like, oh, I was shunned as a child. And that's why I just want to live alone in my ice right. tower of isolation. And, you know, it, I didn't mean to create eternal winter. I just don't know how accident. I control my powers because no one ever taught me. And I was taught that this was a shameful secret. And, oh, wait, but I love my sister. So we're fine now. So I think, like, what that tells me is that the kind of anti-hero or proto-antagonist, like, not quite an antagonist, pseudo-antagonist, yeah. not quite an antagonist character can be profitable even if it's not a recognizable ip in that no one really knew sure. the snow queen fairy tale growing up uh it wasn't a book that was widely read no i don't i don't think it was as culturally prominent as other fairy tales um i mean it's definitely it's not one that i knew growing up but it's one that i knew about well before frozen so i think you know that was that was one of the surprises of the movie for me is like how they chose to adapt that um sure but yeah and i think it has a very similar ending to maleficent where yes there's a curse on a princess but and yes it was put there by a queen you know the the you know the evil yeah. queen whatever uh but ultimately it's a more uh, a more familial yeah. kind of love a more platonic kind of love true love sure. that breaks the curse so I think that that is a twist that you can only do so many more times before it's no longer a twist. But for what we had, you know, I think it's very much a signal about our times, the kind of relationships that we're interested in, that we're not really as interested in heteronormative, curse-breaking kisses. Uh, we're, right. We've, we've saturated the market there. Right. We're more interested in girl power sisterhood or mother daughter kind right of and i mean i think you know just to briefly touch back on aladdin like you know the jasmine girl power song that they added which is like jasmine already had girl power did you not watch the original like <laughs> yeah but she didn't have a song and you need an oscar. original song yeah, to try yeah, and get yeah. an oscar so it might as well right. be a girl power anthem it's just that all the songs yeah. in that movie were bad like even the ones that were good in the original <laughs> were just bad
<laughs> Tom Tom, Tom Hooper. Tom Tom <laughs> um, yeah. Any final thoughts on Cruella? Um, don't pay thirty dollars for it. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Uh, if you have kids, yeah, go see it. Then you can pay thirty dollars for it. Um, I don't know. It's fine. It's it's not great. It's a mess of contradictions. The girl boss stuff is weird. There's gonna be a Gaston movie where, like, his mom gets killed by a bookcase. Um, like, if this trend continues. <laughs> but... Right. It could have been worse, is kind of it's, my... I think it's... I think yeah. it's very trope-like. I think the, the insinuation that it's kind of yeah. written by algorithm is not wrong, there aren't many twists in the movie that I would no. find surprising. Like, I think the bigger twist would have been that Cruella isn't right. related to the Baroness. <laughs> like, um, or the the twist being that, like, you know, I don't know, that she does something to the Dalmatians other than just, you know, befriends them. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there would there could have been other twists. There weren't any. It was just sort of a couple of heists and a couple of, you know, sort of Ocean's Eleven, like, getting someone in trouble right. for murder kind yeah. of schemes. And then uh, a bunch of pranks. Uh, so of many fashion. pranks. So many fashion pranks. If you like <laughs> so fashion... she doesn't really do anything bad. She doesn't do anything villainous. She, she just does steals... things kind of banksy She does steal some wallets, David. That's not right. nice. But, you know, it's like any heist movie, like... There's a difference between being a villain and being a criminal. Oh, you yeah, know? for like, sure, for sure. She, she doesn't do anything antagonist-y, is no. what I'm saying. And, and so, I, I think yeah. the movie misses out on that, because that yeah, is... It's smooth, It's it doesn't have edges, but it, it's going to make money. I, 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 I feel somewhat confident in that. I mean, I contributed my $30, we'll say. <laughs> I saw it in theaters. Uh, and no one else laughed when the Dalmatians kicked the woman off of a cliff, but <laughs> my brother and I did very loud. I, I laughed at home. <laughs> um, and we'll leave it at that, I think. Yeah. If uh, you have any Cruella thoughts or Disney thoughts or villain thoughts, please tweet at us at Talking Tropes. Uh, we'd love to hear them. Um, yeah, and let us know if you want us to do a take on maybe superhero villagin stories yeah. uh, or, you know, on the killing joke or whatever. Um, we're going to be coming back at you next week with another Standing Stanley Tucci, which is our podcast where we watch every Stanley Tucci IMDb credit in order. Uh, so let us know if you have any thoughts on that as well. <laughs> and if you yourself are a Stanley Stan... Please reach out, get in touch. We want to talk. We'll get you on the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you later, darling. That's how I start. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>